Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. to Andy Kirk through ball to Mark De Vries a chance for Haas De Vries round the keeper and that's the minute Mark De Vries 2-2 Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club we'll take you back to 11th of May 2008, a match between the current Hearts team and a Hearts select for Robbie Nielsen's testimonial. Now, just over a month later, Florida businessmen David Laxer, Andrew Nestor and Heinz Howard started a new soccer club which would revive the name of the Tampa Bay Rowdies. Now, coming to us from the US of A, it's not Robbie Nielsen, it's not any of those Florida businessman I mentioned. It's the uh, new biggest fan of that certain club, the Tampa Bay Rowdies, coming to us from the States, now home of Mr. Robbie Nielsen, but it's been the home of Mr. Mark Donaldson for many years longer. I don't know where I was going with that because I didn't no. have time to prep anything. Really? But, but yes, um, Robbie Nielsen was having a heart's testimonial before the current Tampa Bay Rowdies even existed and now the former Hearts boss and regular on Scars Around the Funnel, his manager at the USL club. How did that come about, Mark Donaldson? Honestly? <laughs> um, so Neil Collins, the Tampa Bay boss, uh, was approached to go to Barnsley um, and got the job. So I messaged Robbie, I said, do you fancy coming over here? Tampa Bay gigs available. And in the interim period, Nicky Law, former Muggle Rangers player, uh, who was on the coaching staff, um, I think it was John Stead who was actually the assistant to... Oh, uh, former to, to Neil, Sunderland former QPR, Sunderland, West Brom. Yeah. yeah, he was at a few places, Blackburn. Uh, he was the assistant, so he went with him. So Nicky Law was on the coaching staff, so he just got the job on a temporary basis. So I'd said to Robbie, you fancy it? And he goes, I fancy the States, because he was looking at various other things. Um, but it was just something that, that was, wasn't was spoken about for another month or two. Um, yeah, so so he's over here. Will I be supporting him? No, because they'll be playing against Hartford. And my team that I commentate for over here on ESPN, um, the local There's team. There's a bit too much green as well. Yeah, there's a bit too Tampa much green there. And in Hartford, that, that's just a green and blue kit. It's like a combined Celtic and Rangers kit. But yeah, they're in our league. Um, Tampa Bay Rowdies go way back. This is kind of a, it's, just, it's the same name, but a different guy. So Rodney yeah. Marsh played for them, but this is the kind of the USL version. 
Um, yeah, so I, I put a few people that I know down there in touch with with Robbie after I knew he was coming over, and um, the club's taking care of everything. He doesn't need housing or anything. The only thing he needs is car insurance. Um, but I also informed him that there is a likelihood that he will have to reset his driving test, which is a piece of piss. It's like 50 minutes around the block. I was going to say, from what I understand, the driving oh. test in the UK is about 20 times harder than the driving it test is. in the States. However, what, and that, look, it's been that long since I took my driving test in the UK. Over here, you have to do an eight hours, whether it's two four hours, four twos, eight ones or whatever. You have to do practical. You have to sit in a classroom for eight hours while they tell you don't drink and drive, um, don't take drugs and drive, all that which I understand, it's mainly based on youngsters, but everybody who doesn't have a, a driver's license, a US driver's license, has to do it. So he's got that to look forward to as well. He starts in January, and yeah, I wonder if there'll be uh, there'll be a little look over to to, to Scotland, to, to the UK, to see if there's any um, potential players that he could get on loan, because our season over here in the USL runs from March through until, well, we just had the, the final of the playoffs um, at the weekend, so March through to November. So there might be one or two players at Tynecastle or elsewhere that might want to come and spend a couple of months in the summer over here. So it's a watch this space. Can they can they loan the commentary, the commentators, like, for what, the summer? What's it like down there? I said, what's it like? I said, if you get the chance, if you fancy it, I said, get your arse over here. It's a beautiful part of the world. Um, I mean, it's starting to get really cold. We had we had um, frost on the ground this morning. It was below freezing, uh, and it gets really cold in the northeast. And uh, Hartford can't even play their games in March at home because there's still snow on the ground. Doesn't have any of that to worry about in Florida. No, Tampa. Well, yeah, if, if they need a commentator for a few months in the summer, then send him my way. We, we can make something happen. But we do wish him. Do you think Hearts would loan you out? Um, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think they would care if it was in the summer. <laughs> um, hey, you never know. They, they maybe take the opportunity to get rid of me permanently, but we'll, 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 we'll get into that. Um, I am Laurie Dunsayer, Hearts TV commentator and uh, host of Scarves Down the Funnel alongside my co-host Mark Donaldson. This week we are going to be fairly positive, I think, because Hearts yes. have gone on to the They've gone into the international break with a big win, a big three points, and it's good to capture these moments of positivity and try and cling on to them as much as we can. So we're going to talk about Motherwell against Hearts. That said, we're going to have a dissection of some of the refereeing decisions. So uh, whilst we're going to be very positive about Hearts, we might be slightly less positive about David Munro and some of the calls he made during this match. So we're going to get um, uh, a guest we've had on the podcast before, former referee Des Roach, to come on and have a chat to us about that. We will, of course, talk about some of the football beyond the refereeing decisions as well. And I suppose anything else that may come up over the next hour or so on Scarves Around the Funnel. You're listening to Scarves That Are In The Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. So we're going to talk about Motherwell against Hearts from the weekend. And we're going to start with some of the incidents, and specifically the penalty incidents. And to uh, help us get through these, we're going to get some expert opinions from 
if you call him a current expert or a former expert, but uh, former grade one referee, part of the Get Involved Referee podcast, along with another former referee, Steve Conroy. He has been on the podcast previously, and I believe now assistant manager at Irvin Meadow. It is Des Roach. How are you, Des? I'm very well, Laurie. I'm very well. Um, just uh, settling in for a, for a Monday evening and a chat with you guys. Um, we'll, we'll come to those decisions at the weekend. Uh, and yes, as you say, I'm currently at Irvin Meadow. So um, yeah, my life's quite busy again. <laughs> you know, they always say, you know, a lot of, well, not they, but a lot of people say, you know, they should get former players to be referees because they understand the game, etc. Now you're former referee getting involved in the touchline. Now, does that mean that unlike, you know, coaches and managers who've not been referees, you you would never abuse an official, you would never shout at referees from the sideline or assistants, and you would just, because you, you get it, you, you've been there. I take it that's what you're like. You would never think of bad-mouthing any officials or questioning decisions. I certainly don't bad-mouth them. That's a, that's, I, I wouldn't do, I've got far too much respect for that. I may question uh, the decision making uh, at, at certain points. Politely. Politely, <laughs> of course, although a couple of them have thought I didn't ask particularly politely, uh, but I do. Um, I make sure I'm, I make sure I'm refrained. Um, my, my manager of the club, Martin Ferry, and our, our first team coaches, who are both ex-St. Martin players, um, I think they try and reel me in a couple of times. Um, so, Yes, I'm sure we'll touch on that later, but uh, yeah, brilliant, brilliant club, brilliant uh, to be back involved in football. Uh, people think that because you're a referee, you're officious and you're, you're a strange person. Probably are a strange person. Uh, however, <laughs> my background is I'm a PE teacher, obviously. I've got all my coaching qualifications. I'm a coach. Uh, I only get involved in refereeing because I just probably wasn't good enough to play at the level that I wanted to. Um, but yeah, loving what I'm doing uh, and it's an absolutely fantastic club that I'm involved with and just hope to get them moving in the right direction now. Well, good luck with that and I'm sure you will continue to, to always be very polite and, and never get angry at referees. Just wait till that you know, big league deciding match or cup final and the ref points to the spot after a dive from the opposition. Oh, well, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one right now. Right, I saved the referee at the weekend there. I don't know if there was an observer on the crowd. I couldn't really see one. But he came across, uh, there was a stramash over over nothing. And he went. He, he brought a red card out. And I thought it was for me when I'm standing <laughs> out the road. I'm standing <laughs> out the road. And he sent off our physio. And it actually took me to save him to say, you cannot send off a medic. To which point he then waved his hands and... and, and, and uh, Said no, 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 no. Yellow card. Uh, but my, hey, what what happens if someone gets injured? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, you can't send off the guy that's here to protect players. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like that would just be common sense because he's still going to have to come on. So we're <laughs> oh, honestly, honestly, I think I've got, a, I think I've got a, a bullseye in my back at this moment in time. <laughs> Hold on, before we even get to Motherwell Hearts, this has got me thinking. Do, do I not remember, wasn't it Dave Chaloner? It was someone at Tranmere Rovers or whatever that was a, a qualified physio that also became the manager. So if you are if you can be two roles, if you can be manager and you can be physio, are you then immune from prosecution? Well, you're not immune from prosecution. What would happen is um, you would be reported 
after the game for your misdemeanours or whatever the official thought had happened. Uh, but they cannot remove the medic from the side of the park at that moment in time. Well, what would have to happen is you would have to agree with the opposition that their physio then would treat both sets of players. That would be yes. the that would be the point. But you would still be you would still be reported and you would still be sanctioned for a whatever whatever ban whatever. I feel this is a question should be put to Dermot Gallagher. Right, if the manager is also the physio, can the referee? Remember, you are the ref, Keith Hackett, Roy the Rovers, and comics back in the day. You would just change the physio every week, surely. <laughs> right, we will crack on because we're here to talk about Motherwell against Hearts. And uh, before Mark and I have a chit chat about who played well, who didn't play well, etc., we're going to talk about the three penalty incidents. So, this is two penalties that were not given to Hearts and one penalty that was given to Motherwell. And we're going to get Dez's view on these. So, let's just get straight to it. So, 30th minute of play. Hearts started the game very well on the front foot. Kai Rolls nods the ball towards the edge of the Motherwell box. Liam Boyce takes it down and then flicks it into the box with his head. Dan Casey, the Motherwell defender, comes flying in with his right boot, appears to catch Liam Boyce, but referee David Munro does not feel it's a foul for a penalty. So it goes to the VAR review and Kevin Clancy takes quite a bit of time. He's over at Strathclyde House looking at this in the VAR monitor and he feels there's something there and sends David Munro to the monitor to review. However, the referee decides to stick to his original decision and not award Hearts a penalty. So, what did you make of this one then, Des? I think there's quite a lot to unpeel on this one. Um my initial view was, yes, it's a penalty kick. There's, mm-hmm. been, con- there's been contact made uh, with Liam Boyce um, <laughs> extremely high up on his chest. Um, the referee, for, for whatever reason, David Monroe has decided no, um, which he's entitled to do, if that's his view at that moment in time. However, Kevin has um, asked him to come across to review the situation. So obviously Kevin's got alarm bells ringing there to say, okay, David, would you like to review it? He's came across. He has decided not to take the the, the VAR view of it, which again, in isolation, you think, good, I'm quite happy that he has made his own decision and he's sticking with it. But for me, it's wrong. It's a wrong decision. It doesn't matter. I know he said there was no contact and then he said, oh, there was slight contact. Now, I'm not sure who's quoting that and, and where they've got it from, but it doesn't matter how hard you, you you touch someone. If it is a foul, it's a foul. In my opinion, it's a clear foul. And I would have liked to have thought that they would have got that correct in the first place. But then to go across and see it and stick to it, I think it's only compounding it. Um, I, I really do. I don't think it was a. I don't think it was a right call at all. I think Hearts should be feeling rightly aggrieved that they never received the penalty kick for for that call. What do you do, Des, when a different angle suggests something different? And because we are on the cheap in Scottish football, and we are operating VAR light in essence, with approximately between six to eight cameras at a non-televised game, but usually six. And you don't 
quite have all the angles that you want, but you've kind of got two, and they may contradict each other, because it doesn't look as bad from behind the goals, as has been pointed out in a tweet that I sent earlier, and various responses, which we'll get to shortly as well. But from behind the goals, it kind of suggests it wasn't... Uh, I'm not saying there's there's contact, but it, it seems like there's there's something different. Because correct me if I'm wrong, that if he if he decides initially it's dangerous play, but there's no contact, he could award an indirect free kick inside the box. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Indirect indirect free kick for dangerous play. Okay, so what what happens if you see something from behind the goal and you're thinking, oh, but that's the only two angles you've got. The one that was shown on Sky today, the one that all of us saw. But also one behind the goal that isn't quite as, as telling. Are we looking for some reason not to give the penalty, or are we looking for justification to give the penalty on based on what we've seen? Well, in my opinion, it, it, the view from behind the goal is the view that no one will ever get. Okay, So if you have got the, the facility to see it, and you're quite happy with it, then absolutely fine. Go with it and, and, and not award it. But I don't think that, that anybody, even, even the Motherwell players, Everybody expected that penalty kick to be given. In my opinion, there was contact. There was there was a contact between the Motherwell players' boot and Liam Boyce's jersey. So I, I really don't see how we can how we can get around that. That's not a penalty kick. It it, it really does. It it's, it beggars belief. No, I I agree, and I think when we we watched it in the game, our first instinct was like yours. We said penalty has to be a penalty. Unfortunately, our our replays were not the best. It's a kind of small screen and we're a little bit pixelated because it's actually the internet stream. So we were like, we couldn't tell if there was contact. But we went to that next argument that, well, as a minimum, it's surely dangerous play. One thing, just as a, you know, I agree, it's a penalty. I don't know how it wasn't given when you see the proper high def full replays that they got to see. In terms of the dangerous play, since the referee's not given anything, when he does a VAR check, can he give dangerous play at that point, though, or can he only either give a penalty or no penalty? Uh, no, you've got to get the, the decision correct. And if he then deemed that it wasn't a penalty, but he's going to penalise for dangerous play, then the play should have been restarted with an indirect free kick. Okay, you, just don't, you, to... don't, you don't make it up. No, no, I just want to clarify that because sometimes there's a debate about what they can or can't decide with VAR. You know, sometimes they say if they're checking a, if they're checking for a straight red tackle. They can't then decide it's a yellow card. They can only say it's either a, a red or it's not. But again, this this is where VAR has not been used in the, the appropriate manner. VAR is there to get the decision correct. And how you restart play and how you sanction any foul has got to be the correct decision. So to me, then that should be that should even be questionable. Just get So they the can right... what it is then? They can only send so I think it's the case of the... Kevin Clancy couldn't send him to the monitor if he thought it was an indirect free kick, for well, instance. It's, it's if he, he has to have sent it to the monitor because he thinks it's a, it's penalty. a penalty. Yes. So it's, he could only it's if, if he if he was if Kevin Clancy was certain it's not a penalty, but it's an indirect free kick, he couldn't send him to the monitor. Is that that's what it is. But once he's seen the monitor, once he's if his interpretation is actually no, it's not a penalty, but it's dangerous play, he can then say, Okay, look, I'm saying no penalty. But what I'm going to do is give an indirect free kick. So I just want to clarify that he he can do that, and he's chosen not to. What what Kevin has done there clearly, and everyone can see is Kevin has thought that's a penalty kick. Oh yeah, there's, exactly. There's, there's, no, there's no question. So the fact that he brings him across for a penalty kick, he's given David that option. David has 
opted not to take that option and also opted not to give a, a, a dangerous play because obviously if you're not giving it for for a penalty kick, you're not giving it for dangerous play because the penalty kick is the most severe punishment. So David, so the indirect free kick therefore is out the window at that moment in time. So he's obviously thinking that if it's not a penalty, we just got on with it. That's what I just couldn't. I couldn't understand how he he could think there was no infringement there because again, and we spoke about it in commentary, and I think Lauren Shankland and Stephen Naismith made the point. There's the incident in the second half, which is the free kick, which is always given. Shankland kind of puts his foot a little high. The Motherwell player, there's no contact. The Motherwell player is obviously going ducking down to try and head it, and it's a free kick, and they're always given. You know, you you put your you put your boot up above like to chest height or above doesn't matter if it's contact or how vicious it is it's always a free kick it's it's given all the time that's what we couldn't work out it was like has he not got the option at this point to then give that because we couldn't what that's my confusion is how could he deem that how could he deem that no offense well it's obviously so obviously when i'm saying regarding the penalty he's therefore saying it's a clear and obvious error in kevin's opinion that it's a penalty kick but it's not clear and obvious if it's dangerous mm. play, because David's made that that call on it again, it's it, it, honestly it's like a seesaw there. It's 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 very hard to very hard to fathom out. But for me, it's one hundred percent a penalty kick. David, on his own on his own merits, he you have to live with that one, uh, and we'll see we'll see what comes from it. One thing I, just, I don't know if you saw David Munro's signals when he after he looked at the monitor. What yes. was he signalling? Why did he? This confused me at the time. He points, so at first I thought maybe he was pointing to the spot, but then he he makes the ball, the ball signal. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Well, get was that. he was he suggesting that the challenge won the ball? Because that really confused yeah. me, and I just I just remembered times. it now. Yeah, I, I, to me, I didn't understand that when I looked at it. I thought you're either going to point to the spot, mm-hmm. or you're going to do the hands no. across, wave it yeah. off. That's that was exactly my that's why I thought he was given a penalty. Yeah, and me then too. He, but then he made the ball like he won the ball, but. Definitely no. didn't win the ball. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't get it. And, and bear in mind, you're you're telling you're not just telling the the twenty two players on the park. You're telling the crowd yeah. what your decision is. To me, that wasn't telling anybody what it was. Yeah. He, um, he points and then he does the ball. And I, I've, I've I was like, is it just me? Have I am I not understanding the referee's signals these days? <laughs> just. No, no, absolutely not. I was confused myself. Uh, I didn't, I didn't understand what he was, what he was trying to uh, communicate to to all and sundry around them. But let's let's get down to the the basics of it. Was in my opinion, penalty. and in most people's opinion, it was a penalty kick. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Well, we'll move on to the second half then, because in the sixty third minute, Alex Cochran clips the ball into the Motherwell box. Um, the ball goes past Liam Boyce and Blair Spittle, who are both challenging in the air. Uh, Lawrence Shanklin takes it down. He's challenged by Callum Slattery. He goes down, the ball gets cleared, and there's no initial decision from the referee. Now, it baffled me a little bit because then after a few moments, he blew his whistle and gave Motherwell a free kick. So again, in commentary, I said, has there been an offside? I can't see the near side assistant at Fir Park because he didn't give an initial foul or penalty so it's the only thing I could think of and then we saw the the replay, there's definitely no offside and he appears to give a foul against Liam Boyce there's definitely no foul, he kind of doesn't even challenge Blair Spittle jumps and flaps his arms around 
Um, and then the VAR review happens, and this time Kevin Clancy on VAR decides there is no clear and obvious error, so there's no review required. What did you make of this one, Des? Again, it was a penalty. I think um, Slattery has came in. I know he was cautioned just prior to it, um, mm -hmm. but for me, he was just clumsy. I don't think he's went in to actually make a foul against Lauren Shankland. Um, I just think he's got caught up. The balls came across, as you quite rightly said, uh, uh, Boyce and Spittle, nothing there, perfectly onside. Shankland's got round the back, he's came in, he's a, ready to have a, an attempt at goal, and Slattery was just, just clumsy. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a second yellow card, because you are allowed to challenge for the ball, Um but it was just a, it was just a clumsy foul. Uh, I don't understand how you can not see that for what it is. Mark, you have that opinion as well. Again, it's one of these when we saw it when it happened, we said penalty looks like a penalty. We don't, we didn't get a great replay of it, but we're kind of relying on VAR to have a proper look at it, and it just feels like is that not the point? in them being able to get a proper view of these things if the referee doesn't give it or doesn't see it when it happens. And it it, it felt very odd to me that he wasn't at least sent to have a look at that one. Hmm. Has, has the first incident, Des, where Kevin Clancy has called over David Monroe and David Monroe has basically said, nope, I don't agree with you, I'm sticking with my one. Does that play a part at all? the second time around. I know it shouldn't, but does it? With either relationship between VAR and referee or something that's happened previously when the pair have disagreed. Is there anything to do with that? When another decision comes up later in a game like this and something different happens from the first one? It certainly shouldn't. Uh, no, it's not the question. No, I know. No, it certainly shouldn't because... The most important decision you make is the next decision. Whether you get the previous one right or wrong in your own mind, the most important decision is the next one that you're doing. Um, so Kevin's been around long, long enough. Um, very, very experienced. He's taking charge of national cup finals. He's been a, he's a UEFA referee. So no, I'm quite surprised. No, I'm not quite surprised. I'm very surprised that that wasn't wasn't brought across. Um, but there's certainly nothing within any referee's makeup, or certainly shouldn't be within any referee's makeup to say, oh, well, you didn't take my advice the last time, so I'm not going to give you it this time. That should have been absolutely highlighted and say, I think you might need to look a, have a look at this. When you see it, Slattery has made no contact with the ball. The only contact he's made is with Shankland. I don't, I just don't understand it. It's actually probably, well, it's not actually, it is clearer than the first one that we've already been speaking about. That that is a clear penalty kick. Fair. Okay. So two penalties that weren't given um for hearts. There would be a third penalty decision to be made in the seventy six minutes is after Hearts had gone two 0 up. Uh, a corner from the right taken by Blair Spittle breaks to substitute Ollie Shaw, who fires it goalwards from a few yards out, uh, ricochets off Alex Cochrane's left arm from just a yard or two away. Um, I feel similar to the last two we've spoken about that we're probably going to be in agreement on this one, albeit 
on this occasion in agreement with the referee's decision because he gave a penalty. And as soon as I saw it, it's one of those where I didn't even feel it was like a dubious handball. No, it couldn't even be a discussion, should it, this time? No, no. but I just want to cover all of them. Well, he's... He's got one out of three, right? Hasn't he? So at least he's <laughs> at least at least he's done something right. And I hate to one out of three ain't bad. That's not what Meatloaf said, was it? I know. I was going to say that's a song, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yes, he's he's got that one correct. Two out of um, three is bad in terms of getting it wrong. I know, but unfortunately, David seems to find himself embroiled in more VAR calls than I think I've seen any referee involved in this year. Maybe Willie Collins pushing them to to a certain extent. But um, yeah, there's, there's, yeah, that was a penalty kick. He got that one right, um, so he can he can go up the road and have maybe a wee bit feel a bit easier. What's your and, uh, what's your what, what's your what's your take, Des, on since VAR was introduced midway through a season? Let's not forget, and anyone who listens regularly to get involved referee and delighted it's back by the way um, after your extended hiatus. We'll know your thoughts and Stevie's thoughts, Stevie Conroy's thoughts about introducing something half-arsed midway through a season. Um, but since it's come in, uh, what have you thought of its implementation in its kind of VAR-light form, not as it is in the Premier League, leading to the manager of the best team in the country, Brendan Rodgers, saying at the weekend in his pre-game press conference, he would scrap VAR technology in its current format. Well, I think not for me to, to criticise Brendan Rodgers, absolutely far from it. I wouldn't scrap the technology. The technology works. Just scrap all the referees. I would say, <laughs> and again, <laughs> yeah, me and Steve might come back out of retirement because uh, uh, that that will never happen. <laughs> I don't think we, I don't think G forty two even know our, our emails. I think we were deleted off the page straight away. Uh, VAR for me, I am disappointed in the way it's been operated. I'm disappointed. Um, we have this opportunity to get decisions correct, to justify decisions. But it's causing far, far too much controversy and only because of the way it's been applied. The technology works. It's the use of the people who are, um, sorry, it's the, it's the use being made of the people like operating it. And it's also the education that they're receiving and how to operate it. Um, how do we make them better then? Go back to the, go back to the drawing board. It's education. Go back to the drawing board. If they had brought, why, why bring it in half season? I'm, Honestly, um, we've been we've been talking about this all the time. You bring it in half season, you are underprepared, you are under resourced in the the number of cameras that are there. We've under resourced in the amount of specialist vars that are actually in the in Strathclyde House. But that's yeah. not the referee's fault, is it? It's not the referee's fault. So it can only come from one place, and it comes from up above. And it's been, I've said all along, if you want to use this technology to be the best available, then pay for the best. But we're not paying for the best. It's under-resourced. And it's under-resourced for, for one reason, because the SFA won't pay for it. Sorry, do you think that if we had the best technology available, if we had VAR all singing, all dancing, like they have in the Premier League, do you think all ills and ails will be 
gone overnight because of that? Or is the issue more the lack of proper ability to work said tools? Because you don't have anywhere near as many issues at World Cups because they're the best that are available. Is the quality of those involved in making VAR work in Scottish football not good enough? Yes. Very easily, yes. If you're going to, if you're going to do it, and work at the highest levels, then you have to have the best implementation and the best the best technology available. But you have to invest in the people that are using it. You have to invest in them, time, coaching, working on it. I mean, Mark, we're going back. they brought it in on the 12th of October oh, I know, dur- I know. during a season. I mean, who does that? You don't change the parameters of the game. What I would have thought they should have done to get the best technology available and to get the best coaching available why don't they monetize it? They monetize everything else. Every week we look at these big screens coming up saying going to VAR, possible penalty. Get a sponsor in there. Let's put more money into it. Let's get it correct. And therefore the SFA, I, I, I don't understand what their marketing department has been doing for the past couple of years if they're not, not selling that massive opportunity. But we're selling our guys short. We're selling them short by not giving them the best tools to operate what they think should be Oh, look, we're, we're doing it, we've got VAR. You're doing it half-arsed. But why should we have faith in those who we don't think are good enough to do their job? It's like, if you can't drive, it doesn't matter if you've got a Mini or a Lamborghini, right? Yeah. You're still not very good at driving. So it's easy to identify problems. That was a while ago that VAR came in. We've had a summer, we've had all that. It's, I can go back and say that should have done, that should have done or whatever. And I could go back on our podcast and look at all the mistakes that we've all made and whatever and say... Wish I hadn't said that. It's done. We've got it going forward. David Monroe suddenly doesn't become the best referee in the world because he's got access to to all these tools. It's got nothing to do with him ultimately. No. So got- how do we make the people who we don't think are that good at their job right now? Because there's a whole host of evidence that shows that. That's what we want to do. We want to make them better. You can't learn on the job. It's not like it's going to take a couple of weeks. This is something that that, that could take a long time to get our officials better. So the difficulty there is our guys that are operating this, they work. They're not full-time. So what, what you ideally would like to do is, is take them away, take a group of referees away and say, this is your designated role and this is your designated role. If you're a VAR assistant, if you're a VAR referee... Coach them, work with them. In England, they're full-time referees. In Spain, in Germany, in France, they're full-time referees. Okay, That only comes from one place because there's monetary value given to the game over there. There is no monetary value given to the game over here. They are not... Are you going to ask Kevin Clancy, who's a, uh, who's a lawyer, are you going to ask um, Craig Thompson, as was, who's a lawyer, are you going to ask them to give up their job, earning fantastic amounts of money, pensions, etc., to give it the job to go and become a referee and not and not potentially get anywhere with it? No. It comes from one place. We've got to be if we're going to be professional, then be professional from the top. And I think Crawford Allen, Craig Charleston, who is a good friend of mine, these guys have to be demanding of the SFA to make sure that our guys are properly equipped, are properly educated, and are ready for the job. And I think what we've seen in the past year and a half shows that they're not ready. I won't hear a word against Craig Thompson, Cup final hero, after giving Hearts that penalty back in 2012. Um, 
we could we could go on with the VAR um, debate. Um, I'm sure for another entire episode, and we've done it before, but uh, we were going to try and restrict it just to the the calls from Fur Park. But I understand it does link into the bigger picture as well. Listen, Des, I really appreciate you taking the time to come Not and have a chat with us today. You can catch Des alongside other former ref. We mentioned Steve Conroy on the Get Involved Referee podcast, hosted by Lindsay Heron. You can find it on all the usual podcast apps. And I guess now you can also find Des um, patrolling the touchline for Irvin Meadow as well, which will be berating the assistant. Absolutely yes. not. Gentlemen, <laughs> <laughs> okay. it, it was lovely as always. Cheers, Des. Thank you very much. We'll speak soon. Okay, guys. Take care. Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. Okay, so that was Des Roach talking us through the big penalty calls in Motherwell against Hearts and VAR in general. So we'll move on from that because I feel if we even touch briefly on refereeing or VAR, then we're just going to spark another debate. So let's move on to some of the football beyond those moments because it was a big game and a very positive game for Hearts. And it will just be a corner for Hearts. 27th minute here, goalless as things stand. Lowry, right-footed, curled to the back post area. Frankie Kent attacks it well, flick towards yes. goal, and it's in! It's Lauren Shanklin who diverts it past the goalkeeper. Corner to the back post, Frankie Kent wins it. And a deft touch from Shankland. It's Motherwell nil, Hearts won. They're in possession just now, Hearts with Benny Beningame on the halfway line. Looks for Shankland, poor pass. But Beningame gets a second bite at it. Better pass, Shankland in on goal. Round the goalkeeper, chance for yes! And Shankland delivers yet again! Beningame supplies. Shankland finishes the South Stand delirious. And Hearts 2 to the good. And it's the number nine who does it once more. Tenth of the season. Motherwell nil. Heart of Midlothian 2. So going into this game against the Motherwell side, who were on a poor run of form without winning eight since their last meeting with Hearts on the 3rd of September and without a home win since August. But they just they had that fight back against St Johnson a few days prior. So maybe a little bit more confidence about them. Hearts themselves, just one win in five, but a couple of away wins in the league already this season, already equaling last season's total in terms of league games away from home. And if you take Rangers and Celtic out of the equation, it was just one loss in the last six domestic matches. In terms of the team, three changes from the semi-final defeat to Rangers, Sibbett, Grant and Vargas dropping out, Forrest, Lowry and Boyce coming in and Hearts sticking with that three at the back. Kingsley Kent rolls, Forrest now into the right wing back, roll, Cochrane left, Newenhoff and Benny Beningame in the centre, Lowry just a little bit further ahead, giving a bit more licence to move forward in the number 10 role, and Liam Boyce and Lawrence Shanklin leading the way in terms of attack. Now Mark started quite positively for Hearts, and Alex Lowry, you know, within two minutes you saw him driving through, skipping past a few challenges, getting a shot in that was off target, but good intent, and I thought that set the tone quite early on and you know we missed Alex Lowry 
in the two Rangers games recently, and I think it showed what we missed from him in that sort of free role between the kind of sitting Neuenhoff and Benny and behind the more attacking or outright attacking options of Boyce and Shankland. He kind of thrives in there, doesn't he? He does. He does. I'm glad you brought up a set the tone um, mention to, to begin with, because I think it's spot on. I, I'd sent you a team that I would have liked to have played, but it was more the formation. It was the three and then the four, and then either one, two or two, one or, or whatever. And I sent you that on Friday. And the only two changes, the formation was the same. The only two changes were Beningamy for Devlin. Again, that's, that's a toss up. No issues either way with that one. And Lowry for Vargas. That was simply because I wasn't sure if, if Lowry was available for, for selection after the head knock. But setting the tone is important, given some of the games recently where we've gone side to side or we've gone from somewhere, a position of not strength, but we've gone back the way because we weren't brave enough. And I think it set the tone of, of a kind of bravery perspective as well. And Alex Lowry's a young kid. Uh, what is he, 20 years old? And he does play with that kind of gay abandon, that fearlessness, that um, that kind of ability, uh, but also mixed in with a, a, a lovely kind of swagger that, he, he, yes, he'll make mistakes, but he's not frightened to go back to the well. He's not frightened to try it. And I thought I thought it was a really good start from from Hearts, um, but ju- just the approach, and it's something that Stephen Naismith was calling for as well: bravery on the ball. Don't go back if you if you do have an opportunity to play it forward, but play with a tempo. And I thought we started pretty quickly. And you're right, spot on. We did set the tone early doors. Seventeenth minute of play, Liam Boyce had a chance, which he shot wide. Bit of an error from Callum Butcher. Lowry just rolled into Boyce, and he moved it onto his left foot just dragging the shot wide. Slight frustration from that one. But 10 minutes later, Hearts found the opener and lo and behold, it's a corner kick that it comes from. Feels like Hearts never score from corners. Mm. Apart from that uh, cup game against Partick Thistle early in the season, but it was an Alex Lowry corner curled into the back post. Frankie Kent winning the header well and Lawrence Shankland with a flick into the corner of the goal. And you almost can't tell just how good a finish this is as it happens in real time, you have to see the replay of it. And it's such intelligent play from Lawrence Shanklin, isn't it? The awareness in front of goal with his back to goal. That's not just a a lucky divert towards goal. He knows exactly what he's doing there, doesn't he? He does. And we, we speak about Lawrence Shankland on the day that he's been called into the Scotland squad mm-hmm. for the two games against Georgia and Norway. And maybe it was his involvement in the Scotland squad in June that caused his slow start to the season. And then throw in the speculation as well in August about Saudi Arabia and everything like that. And he wasn't at his best. And he he came back looking, um, not twice the player he was before um, the, the, the kind of summer break, but but certainly bigger. And now he... I just think he's picked up where he's he's left off last season. I don't think there's much of a difference um, with his, his sharpness is there. Just You either have that or you don't. I'm not sure you can teach that, Laurie, that instinct. A striker has it or he doesn't, and Shankland has it. And it's one thing to have it. It's another thing to actually produce the application. But it wasn't it great to, to actually see, as you mentioned, us finally scoring from a set play. And there were two or three other free kicks, but mainly corners that we had that it looked like we'd been working on and it wasn't just to put it in the box and hope for the best. That was that was very pleasing. Just before that, you did mention that chance and I gave Lowry a lot of praise at the start and I think he deserves that praise. Where I wouldn't give him the praise 
is, yes, Liam Boyce missed the big chance, but I thought that Lowry's pass to him was poor. There, there has been a lot of times this season when we've not been great, we, we seem to pass to the player rather than pass for the player to run onto if he's got that ability and space to do so. And I felt it was more a pass to Liam Boyce, and he kind of had to adjust his feet. If it had been a better pass, it might have allowed Liam Boyce to either take it first time or produce a better or an easier first touch. So that's probably the only little criticism there. So we could have been a goal up prior to Lauren Shanklin scoring the opening goal, but I'm glad we got it. And and I think I think at that stage, we, we deserve that. I thought we were really, really good in that first half. Absolutely, we've talked we've talked about the penalty incident that that wasn't given in the end. But in terms of the first half, obviously Hearts would go in one nil to the good. They probably feel they should have had a chance to make it two 0 from the spot. But just a really good performance, and I think what pleased me was how I think fluid and and cohesive the team looked going forward, which I don't think we've seen often. You know, in many games recently we've seen a sort of disjointed setup and the, the midfield I felt it just looked like it does not have any kind of link up with the forward at all. We just we couldn't get the ball between them very well and we were not getting it forward quickly, but we also couldn't get it forward patiently. I think Lowry just helps that, doesn't it? Because sometimes, you know, Benny Beningame and Callum Newenhoff maybe don't have that same attacking threat. But um you know you have to highlight quite a lot of players, especially kind of bringing um, the likes of Forrest in on the right. I thought that worked quite well because Blair mm-hmm. Spittle was in the left and he's not a very defensive player, so he opened up that side quite well. Benny Beningame looked good, the defensive unit looked good, so overall it was just a very pleasing first half. Now, Hearts went in at the break 1-0 to the good. At halftime, Motherwell made a change and they brought in Brody Spencer. They obviously highlighted that it wasn't working for them, especially in those wide areas on their left in particular. Now, Brody Spencer came in and offered a more natural width on the left-hand side. Blair Spittle came in to a central role, and I think, similar to when we talk about Lowry, I think he's much better there, Blair Spittle. I think left wing-back seems madness um, for a player like Blair Spittle. Now, very quickly, it was evident that now Motherwell were offering a bit of width on that left-hand side. Brody Spencer was getting forward, decent pace, naturally left-footed. I think what you've got to credit Stephen Naismith for here, you know, we've given him plenty of stick at times, but 11 minutes into the second half, he makes a change. He takes off Alan Forrest and he brings on Toby Sibick. And he's another person who has had stick and lots of it, deservedly so. But I think you've got to credit both Stephen Naismith and Toby Sibick here because I think this change is very sensible. You know, he highlights there's an issue. They've changed their approach here. Suddenly having Alan Forrest on that right-hand side isn't working so well because you've also got Stephen Kingsley who's not a natural right footer so there's often a little bit of a gap there we saw it against Rangers and I thought that worked really well I thought Sibic did really well when he came on and it just seemed to be good proactive management didn't it? It did Uh, I I was looking back at um, at some of the other games and the substitutions that were made especially at Kilmarnock as well and I think he's probably got more right than he's got wrong as far as changes are, are concerned. And, and he can certainly see things that he feels might need tweaked. But it's one thing seeing it. It's another thing actually doing it. And it just it made total sense. It made perfect sense. You're not becoming a more defensive team by bringing Toby Civic on if you're playing Toby Civic the same way as you're playing Alan Forrest. So there's your question. Because he hasn't at times looked like he's... A, most comfortable when he's when he's playing there. 
Toby Civic. But I thought he was really, really good when he came on. And it didn't really change us that much because he got forward, but it did give us a bit more solidity mm-hmm. when it came to um, defending uh, against Spencer, who'd who'd come on. And you've, you've kind of got two defensive-minded players now knowing how to defend. We've spoken before. I, I'm not a fan of, of Kingsley as, as a right centre-back with Forrest on the right of midfield if we're up against Rangers or Celtic. But on the whole, the majority of times, we're not going to be playing Rangers or Celtic. So we should be the ones on the front foot. We've done that. We've got a lead. We've then identified through Stephen Naismith, not so much an issue, but Alan Forrest is much better going forward. He's not a, he's not a great defender. That's, that's not his job. So bring on someone who is. You've still got Lowry playing as a 10. And as, as Joel Sked pointed out in a really good article prior to the Motherwell game about um, identifying Motherwell's strengths and weaknesses, and he was talking about how they have players that play as a six, but they're not really players that are good at playing as a six. That's not their natural gift. So Hearts should be playing with a 10 or someone behind the front two that would get into the spaces that they don't like to defend in. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think it's easy to be critical, and we have done a number of times, and that's life, isn't it? But I think it's important you accentuate the positives. I thought Stephen Naismith got his team selection correct. I thought he got his tactics correct. I thought he got his substitutions correct. And we have to identify as well, Toby Civic, who's come in for a fair bit of stick. Good on you, pal, for coming on. And and it was seamless. It was a seamless substitution, but it gave us more of a defensive attribute going up against their halftime sub. It was a second half for Motherwell. Certainly were better than the first, without really testing hearts too much, especially after that change from Stephen Naismith to bring Toby Civic on. And with 19 minutes to go, Hearts doubled their lead. It was Benny Beningame who just got a little break of the ball inside the Motherwell half. But some nice quick thinking here from the Hearts midfielder. He threads it through. Lovely dummy from Lowry. Lawrence Shankland takes it in. Coolly rounds the goalkeeper and finishes behind the defender tracking back. Um, who looked like he would potentially stretch out, maybe try and block it at the near post area. But Shankland with a very smart finish. Tenth of the season making it 38 goals in 66 games for Hearts all in. Now, there's a few things I want to highlight here, Mark. First of all, Benny Beningame, who I think we've started to see signs he is getting back to the player we know he can be. And I thought he was very good at Fir Park, and I was really pleased when he had such a good involvement in the goal. He was great. Lowry with quick thinking, and Shankland with, I think, a good first touch, an excellent second round the goalkeeper. But what really impressed me was was the way he finished this, because... Mm most players there will try and play that into the biggest part of the goal there, which is the near post. But both the goalkeeper and the defender especially, that's where they're going to try and block, isn't it? So I thought it was a a really good goal for for all three of those players' involvement in it. The Livingston game is the only game he's not scored in in Hearts' last five. And he's a player in form, and we were just desperate for that. He went through a dry spell. But that goal against Celtic, albeit it was a consolation, but it, I don't know if it stirred something in him that this is who I am. I'm a goal scorer. He, he looks sharp. It, it was just, it was a it was a great finish. I want to go back to Benny Beringame for the through ball. His first pass was horrible. 
he actually got away yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, but, but and there is, there's a reason I'm bringing that up, that his first pass was horrible. You could easily kind of just be flummoxed by, oh, shit, what am I going to do now? But he was so switched on, Benny, that he, he knew, okay, I've got another chance. And it was just, again, it was instinct. And it was a brilliant through ball. It was a nice dummy. And it was a super finish from Lawrence Shanklin. What was that stat you gave me about the number of goals and the number of games? Because, my God, that's impressive. 38 goals and 66 for Hart. So basically, he's a goal every 1.7 games since he's been with Hearts. And if you add in the assists, it's around a, a direct goal involvement, I think is what they call it these days, every one and a half games. So basically, you know, Shanklin doesn't tend to go more than um, sort of a game and a half on average without finding the back of the net, which is really impressive over that period of time. I know there's penalties in there, um, but contrary to some opinion, I think, you know, believe it or not, penalties still count. And we've not had a league penalty yet this season, I don't think. I know we've had them in the in the Cups. So he's doing not too bad. Double, And that's, I mean, that, that tells a story, doesn't it? Hearts haven't been at their best this campaign so far. Lauren Shanklin, you know, we've said ourselves, wasn't at his best early in the season. He's still in double figures and we're in November. So It's funny how um, your mind can play tricks on you, isn't it? Because I was thinking to myself, imagine he'd started the season off in this type of form. And then I looked at his stats. He kind of did. Now, whether or not he he, he was in his, his best shape and he was in his best form, he wasn't. But he scored at St. Johnston. He scored at Rosenberg. He scored at home to Rosenberg. He scored against Partick. And he scored against Pauk. Now, he didn't hit the back of the net again until the Celtic game. So... Yes, he. It wasn't the same form, but he's he's priceless right now. Now we're sitting here thirteenth Monday, thirteenth of November. We're recording this in a week and a half's time. It's Thanksgiving over here. Are we fattening up the bird to potentially sell him <laughs> in January? Now, let me explain that. I don't want him going anywhere. Okay. And when mm-hmm. that January yeah. transfer window closes, I'm desperate for him still to be a Hearts player. But, but, mm-hmm. but, if he continues this form between now and the start of the January transfer window, or whenever there might be interest in him, I don't think we could replace Lawrence Shankland and Lawrence Shankland's goals for the money we would get for Lawrence Shankland. But... If it puts an extra two, three, four million on his valuation, whatever that is, because it's up to the board, if they get a bid in for Lauren Shankland, and I hope they don't, but if they do, is his goal-scoring form of late and the way he is playing and now called into the Scotland squad again, is that something that is adding? In fact, that's wrong. It is something that's adding. How much is it adding to his price tag? Because I think he's worth more to hearts than whatever someone is willing to pay. What do you think that amount is that someone would have to even start the bidding at for us to be interested in maybe returning the call, the email or or whatever? I mean, because he's so important, you know, whether someone would pay it or not is another question. But I mean, I don't think there's much point in hearts considering anything that isn't Five million would be my view, Minimal. because the the difference. You know, if his, for instance, you know, if, if we didn't have, if we'd sold Lauren Shanklin right at the end of the transfer window, so we were 
playing with the current squad because we wouldn't have had time to to find someone yeah. else. So if a Saudi team came in because their transfer window was still open when ours had shut, and if we'd sold them then, we we could easily be in the relegation zone right now, probably without you know without exaggerating purely because, um, and that's not to say we're a one man team, but if you take away you know that key part of the side scoring those goals, then suddenly where are the goals coming from? Um, and like it's not like last season where there was a few penalties. We've not had a league penalty yet. So I think we would be in, we'd be in, we'd be in trouble. Um, yeah, I, think, I, I think he's worth more to Hearts than Hearts would get financially. Well, him. obviously, everyone's got a price tag. And I guess the, the thing that will... And, we, and I've said it many times in this podcast, one of my frustrations, and I'm sure it's a frustration for people internally at Hearts, is... You know, you look at Aberdeen, Hibs as well, recently have made have made some decent sales. But you look at Aberdeen with some of the sales they've made. Um, we've just not made any big... And, and you know, Aaron, Aaron Hickey in the end, even, that's going to be a frustration because we didn't manage to get more. And I know there was a lot of mitigating circumstances with that one. But, you know, Aberdeen especially have been so much better in terms of getting players in and then selling them on for profit. And that's what Scottish clubs... You know, like Hearts and Aberdeen and Hibs need to do. If you can get five million pounds for a player, that's what more than a third of a of your kind of of the revenue could make overall, and that's in a good year. Um, so, Lawrence Shankland next year will be starting his fight the final year of his contract. I would suggest if it gets to next summer, you know, and Hearts have an entire summer. You know, if someone came in with a decent bet, I suppose that's where you'd have to make the decision because then you'd be thinking, okay, it's pre-season. You can potentially, you know, if you got that figure, say it was five million, if you got that and you've got plenty of time, you could think, okay, we could build maybe a, we could we could get in two or three big signings and still have money to feed into the youth system or other projects or whatever. And we're then we're we're then going into territory of if we don't take the money that asset is going to potentially leave for zero because six months down the line, he's then free to talk to other clubs. So I think that's maybe, I think next summer is maybe a different, a different kind of subject. Yeah, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking about but, January. I'm, but I'm January, about you, you being yeah. the person that, you, Laurie Dunsar, being the person, not not anybody at the board. Aren't yeah, January is um, a nightmare kind of for market in terms of trying to. You're not going to be able to replace or anything like that. I, I would say it would have to be silly for, a silly if a five million bid came in. They, I think they'd have to consider it. I would be. I think that would be the. For me, that would be the minimum to be looking at. And I guess it might come down to the player because if the bid came in and Lauren Shanklin made it clear to look, guys, that's I, the other thing. Exactly. This is, I know, they're offering. They're going to offer me four or five. Depends on the club, but they're going to offer me multiple times more than what you're paying me. This is a big opportunity for me. I would really appreciate it if I could get the chance to at least speak to this club, etc. If the club then know, okay, his head's turned, if we don't accept this, mm-hmm. is he going to be the same player? And yeah, obviously that's all hypothetical, but that all comes into it. So I I, I would hope that situation wouldn't come about where there's a, a bit on the table that, but I mean, hearts are like almost every club in the world, there's only a handful that aren't, or a selling club. If the, if the fee is right and the player wants to go, there's not, it'll, that it will potentially happen. Um, I, I suppose the the big question would be: Would 
five million plus for Lawrence Shankland long term. Would people want that over, say, Lawrence Shankland having another good season and a half at Hearts, but leaving for nothing? I think people would, at the end of that, if that happened, I think the club would get some stick from fans. If they say, again, our biggest, our most sellable assets being allowed to to run this contract down. So I think it's one of those where it's like, you know, you maybe can't win. The club might see it as that as well, that mm-hmm. if Lauren Shanklin just ends his Hearts career, and it will depend, you know, if he has a final season where he scores 40 goals and Hearts win the Cup, maybe people will think differently. But um, it's an interesting one. We'll maybe have to touch on it again when it yeah. gets to January. But the good thing, you know, he, he does look does look back to his best and he's always been grabbing the goals and I'm sure the likes of Robbo would the same. I, I obviously, I wasn't watching full games for most of his career. I caught the tail end of his career, but I'm sure he had spells where wasn't as good overall as others, but he was still finding the net on a regular basis and ultimately that's the big thing for a striker. Um, we talked about the penalty calls. Obviously Blair Spittle converted the penalty that we spoke about with Dez. Yeah, that ruined our prediction, didn't it? Oh, I forgot about our predictions. What were they? Remind me. Uh, Scott and I had 2-0. Um, I went Shankland and I, see the minute you start to think about that, you know it's going to be you know it's going to be ruined. The minute Scuffered. you start to think about Hearts getting three points or or this, you're like just, just just don't think about it. But when they put his hand up, yeah, it's, they can complain all they want, but if it's up, it's yeah, up there, I yeah. mean, we're desperate for it. One thing I just want to touch on before the end of the game because this could have you know, could have. Hearts could have easily folded at that point. Um, bit more pressure from Motherwell, but Motherwell really didn't properly test Hearts again after that point. And I, one of my favourite points of the game, and it's been shared so many times on Twitter as well. Now, so even if you didn't catch the full game or you you didn't see it, you were just tuning in to, to audio coverage or whatever. You've probably seen it now. The the final five minutes of added time that were pretty much played within a <laughs> ten yard area of the corner flag was absolutely magnificent. It was it was anti football if you want to call it that, but it's such good game management. Hearts got down into the corner midway through added time and they basically did not let Motherwell get back out of that corner. And it's a small thing, you know, it's one of those if it's against you, you're fuming. It's very frustrating. Um but if it's for your team it's very satisfying to watch. And I think from both the players and the coaching staff, I think it it shows good game management and it's, you know, we've we've questioned maybe the character at times of of this team at points this season. But I think you have to give them a bit of credit for that as well because they did it so well. And it's it's not always as easy as it seems to just do that because a lot of teams get caught out when they try and maybe run down the clock in the corner. But that was a an absolutely fantastic five or six minutes. I think you have to put it into context. You're not going to see Celtic doing that. You're not going to see Rangers doing that. But this was a vitally important game for Hearts. And Stephen Naismith knew that, and the players knew it. Now, when you take... This is, this is when we, we do what we do as, as journalists, broadcasters, commentators, and we have selective statistics, and you see outside of games against Celtic and Rangers. But I think, I think it's important that Hearts are unbeaten in the last five against teams out with the old firm, with four wins and one draw. Three away wins already this season. That's the same as last season. So just trying to spread, kind of, is, is does a win at Mother will make everything in the garden rosy again? No, no of course it doesn't. It's, it's a process. But processes take time. Patience is required. 
when you need a process to be fulfilled. And I'm, I, I'm not saying that anybody who's not a Stephen Naismith fan is not going to be a Stephen Naismith fan or anybody who's not a Stephen Naismith fan um, should change their mind. Of course not. Of, of course not. Without wanting to drop another one in, but doing so in that one swallow doesn't make a summer and all that. You could keep going on with all of these. But we can only go by what we have seen. And that's short-termism, medium-termism, and long-termism. So the short-termism that we've seen is backed up by the unbeaten in the last five against teams out with the old firm, right? If we take care of our fixtures against teams outside the old firm, we'll finish third. It's as simple as that. With third comes a lot of money from a European run. We've already had one of those. We've spent the money that's required that we don't need to spend again, the one-off cost payments as well. But we're not getting into Europe and finishing third on the back of one game against Motherwell. Because if we lose at home to St. Johnston, all the old arguments come up, as they should as well. But what we need to see is progress. And that's what Stephen Naismith needs to see as well. You can agree or disagree with, with some of the comments that, that he has made. But you cannot disagree with what happened on Saturday at Fur Park with the way that Hearts played. Yes, the last couple of minutes, three minutes in the corner. I'm fine with that. I love those dark arts because there are games that we should have done that and we would have picked up three points or we would have been through to cup finals if we'd done it better. We didn't. So I'm I'm not hearing any negativity about that. And you certainly wouldn't from, from Hearts fans, but that's why you wouldn't see it from Rangers or you wouldn't see it from, from Celtic. We needed that win. We got that win and we had to have that win. Now we've got the two weeks prior to the next one against St. Johnston and we want it again. Because Stephen Naismith is right. This is a team that is under a lot of pressure because of the expectations and the demands from a large fan base and an expectant fan base. I'm all for that. And if they can't get up for that and they can't produce and perform because of that, then they're no use to him. And he knows that. So let's see what happens next. We're not going to win the Champions League on the back of a win at Motherwell, but it's a decent step in the right direction. It is. And you just reminded me of Ryan Stevenson um, down in the corner when we were... Mr. Road. Yeah, yeah. Let's not go there. Let's Let's move on. Yeah. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Yeah, as Mark says, you know, we're not going to pretend that one result against Motherwell cures all the ills and suddenly the the grass is completely greener and we're not going to go back to anything that how many metaphors can we get in here i don't know but basically we're trying to be positive this week because it's it's there've been some positive signs and indeed let's have a look at a couple of emails we got that do look at at least a bit of a positive angle as well first of all graham um, message saying hope you guys are doing well um said he's a big fan of the podcast etc obviously as most of these emails do not all of them but some of them um, he says i've been very much someone who has said from the opening game of the season that i thought appointing nazi was the wrong option but i want any manager of my club to work when he spoke at the open training session about about playing an attacking style of football i thought that sounded great and very positive but the problem is we haven't really seen much of it so far i think there've been moments in games we have looked decent but not amazing Players at times uh, looked like they weren't sure what the plan was, and the worry was the lack of fight in certain games, which is something we should be showing in every game. 
The performance in the Viable Cup semi, while not exactly surprising, was very disappointing as it's a chance to get to a final and win a cup that we haven't won for 61 years, so there seemed to be a lot of apathy after that. I am writing this after the win over Motherwell, and this was the most encouraging performance I've seen this season. I thought we were excellent, and Nasey got everything spot on in terms of the team selection, formation and subs, bringing Sibic on for Forrest, who was, this, who was struggling against Brody Spencer, was very good management. This game felt massive for Hearts and Nasey, and he and the team deserve the praise, but it's now really important we build on this after the break, and we beat St Johnston and Kilmarnock. Whether Nasey is the right man, I'm still not convinced, but as we know, it's a results business, and we are winning. if we are winning games, he will rightly get praised. I fully believe the squad is a very good squad, and when we add Gordon, Halkett, Atkinson and Mackay, it just gets stronger. I see no reason why we shouldn't get third if we can put in performances like today on a more consistent basis. Um, thanks for taking the time to read us. Keep up the great work. Cheers, Graham D. And I think that's probably where a lot of fans are. You know, may maybe had our doubts, we're the same. They've not been, you know, completely quelled, however positive performance, positive signs, and now it's about building it because we have a very important run of games. St Johnston home, Kelly away, got Rangers at home, Aberdeen away, Celtic away, we've got St Mirren, then we've got the Derby, so huge games. I think between now and the start of January will tell us a lot. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out. And hopefully we can build on that positive result. Mm -hmm. um, I've got another one here from Alan who says um, he wants to give his tuppence worth. He says, I agree with some of your recent comments about the change in Naismith's tactic from the end of last season until now. Those were clearly a factor in getting the job. Since then, he seems to have reverted to a cautious approach, which is not what the fans want, and it seems the players. Um, we've had some bad results, but were it not for Peter Haring pulling the Rangers player shirt, we would now be sitting third. It is clear that we still seem sh sure about our... We it is clear that we still seem sure about our best line of information and in the semi-final he got that wrong. There seems to be a feeling that with some supporters we have a right to finish at least third and that should certainly be our ambition. I have been as frustrated as anyone with, us, with some of our recent performances but I feel that under other than the semi-final we are moving in the right direction. Keep the faith, Alan. Um, that was my reading of the email rather than Alan's writing <laughs> of it that um, that was the problem there as I stumbled over every word but I think the overriding feeling is you know yeah we've we've got our doubts there's been some issues but let's try and keep the faith and I think that's a big thing especially as we go into a big run of fixtures so thanks to Alan and Graham look we did get at least one other email that maybe went into a bit more depth in some of the not necessarily negative but some of the maybe the issues and we will save that possibly when we need to revisit that hopefully we won't was it not written before the mobile game as well it was so, which is why i don't yeah. want to go to it because you yeah. know we've, we've obviously Context. got wins since then but um yeah that's what we do in the podcast sometimes we will have a, a a more negative look at things because it's warranted but this week a good win um a good performance that first half especially was one of the best i think i've seen from us mm -hmm. this season so um, certainly domestically anyway. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that we can be positive. Uh, and next week, you know, we're getting to the end of the show. We've all got a game to preview, but next week we're hoping our other host, not just Scott, but Mr. Ryan McGowan may come back on because he is the, the man of the hour just now because new St. Johnston boss, Craig Levine, who will be returning, of course, at Tynecastle, um, a good hearts man as well as Mr. Ryan McGowan, highlighted him as the best player 
on the park as St Johnston continue their revival with a win at the weekend. <laughs> I didn't know as he wanted to add anything to that, but as as much as he loves hearts <laughs> and as much as Craig Levine loves hearts, they would love nothing more than to come to Tynecastle and basically. Oh yeah, same with Gary Lock. Oh, Remember, Gary Locke was Kilmarnock. He came on the podcast and he of, said, of, "Of course." Some people questioned, and he's like, "Actually, when when I play Hearts, I feel like I've got more of a yeah, point to prove because I've got all my pals are there and stuff, yep. and it's uh, you know it's my former team. So if anything, mm-hmm. I want to get a win against Hearts more than anyone else, even yeah. though they're a club. And so, he'll have um, the people. We'll have them. He'll, he'll have them prepped. Uh, he'll be listening intricate. to scarves around the funnel beforehand, getting all the <laughs> the inside tactical knowledge." <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's something we can look forward to next week with Ryan. But I, I just want to end with with bigger picture, and the bigger picture today is between St Mirren in third, of which we are only two points behind now, and bottom side Livingston. There are nine points separating ten teams. I would rather be consistent in the Premiership than have quality here and then. Because consistency will get you places. If it's consistency with ability, you'll be fine. And Hearts have, have they've got the ability. Um, at times it doesn't look like that, but we were really good in that first half on on Saturday. So if we can put together a run of games, you can see how quickly things turned from last March onwards. Right? After that cup win over Hibs at the end of January, everything was rosy in the garden. Clear in third, through to the next round of the cup, what could possibly go wrong? You blink and you miss it. The next thing you know, we've fucked it up. We finished fourth. We've missed out on the group stages. Aberdeen put together an unbelievable run. And that's what it takes. It's consistency. And I know Aberdeen beat Rangers in, in that run, but on the whole, they took care of games against the other teams in the league. It's not about who you should be beating. and You've got to go and earn that right. So without getting carried away or anything like that, let's let's just see where we are after a few games. Because this is what we did um, prior to the old firm games, um, prior to the Livy game as well. Let's kind of see where we are after we've played Motherwell. We've played Motherwell now, and we sit two points behind St Mirren in third. Is it where we want to be? No, because we want to be third. We're not. But we're within touching distance and we've got momentum. So right now, that's not a bad place to be. But there's still a lot of work to be done. But you know that other teams around you are going to take points off other teams around you. So let's not worry about what they get up to. Let's just do our job when it comes back. Get the three points against St Johnston and and hopefully get third sooner rather than later. Absolutely. We'll be back next week to preview that game against Craig Levine and Ryan McGowan's St Johnston. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch, you can email podcast at scarvesaroundafunnel.co.uk or you can tweet us or um, X us or someone message us saying that they refer to the tweets now as excrements, um, which is an interesting <laughs> one. Uh, anyway, you can contact us on that platform at Around the Funnel. <laughs> Until next time. Thanks for tuning in. I want you.